Welcome to The Undergrowth. I'm Marissa. And I'm Aaliyah. And we are on a journey to ignite collective liberation through juicy conversations. We will feature the voices of powerful truth-tellers, visionary artists, movement leaders, and wisdom holders to unveil their journey and share the medicine of their work. This space is an invitation to bring you into deep curiosity and self-reflection as we unpack the conditioning we no longer need to carry. And now, on to today's conversation. We are honored to have Sasha Bryce with us, EFT practitioner and creator of Core Clarity Certification Program in Toronto, Canada. Together, we explore the world of EFT tapping and the process of unlearning emotional suppression as a way to theoretically be safe in the world. Sasha shares the impact of stepping into her power, allowing life to express itself through her business, and the infinite impact of doing work that she loves. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so happy to have you here, Sash. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been such a blast to be nurturing these spaces. And we're so excited to hear a little bit about your story. So the first question that we want to ask you is, what has the journey been like that's gotten you here to doing the work that you're doing right now in the world? Yes, absolutely. So I feel like those questions are already are always hard to answer because there's so much intricacy in how we get to where we are. But I will start by sharing that right now I am guiding women um, to become EFT practitioners as well as a modality called the clearing work. Um, which is, you know, important to know as I start to share where I've come from. Mm. And yeah, the clearing work was developed by my mom about 21 years ago. And I believe that she, you know, she was similar to a lot of us on this journey of like trying to understand ourself and holistic wellness more deeply. And she started to learn tapping and for those of you who aren't familiar with tapping, this is like my main passion and mostly what my life and my work revolves around. Um, and it it operates the same as Chinese medicine. So a lot of people are familiar with acupuncture or acupressure. So we use um, the meridian system in the body to touch and tap on specific points to help regulate our nervous system and to clear stuck energy that's trapped in the body. So my mom kind of developed this when it was like coming out to the public, even though it's like thousands of years old, it's ancient, it didn't really like come out um, to the general public as something to try until, you know, around the 80s. -hmm. And uh, my mom started learning about it. And then she put together her own method, which I believe was like channeled from a higher source of how Mm -hmm. to actually bring this together. And she obviously brought it to me and started, you know, trying it on me. And I I say (laughs) to a lot of my clients now, because a lot of the women in my group are uh, moms and they're like, my kids think I'm crazy. My kids, like (laughs) some some kids love tapping, but some kids like think it's just completely... (laughs) 
wild, which I thought when I was about seven or eight years old and my mom brought it to me, I thought, what is she doing? You know, I didn't really understand it. Mm. Um, and so she was really the first person who introduced this to me. And as a highly sensitive person, I consider myself, especially a highly sensitive child, which I think isn't talked about a lot, but um, there's a lot of children who are picking up on things that even their parents aren't aware of. So it makes a lot of sense to me that children are like come into this world connected more to source. And I believe that we, we kind of get programmed and blocked as we move on in our, you know, in our youth and in our teen years. And so I always felt like as a child, I was like really aware of adult emotions and uh, feelings and just deeper things that were going on. And yet there's like this, this paradox because adults are kind of feeding children surface level, like let's play mm. with dolls and all these like things that I, it didn't make sense to me. And I was really, really attuned to like deeper information as a child. Mm. Um, and it's hard for children to be put in certain environments. I was raised Jehovah's Witness, um, which is a strict sect of Christianity that mm-hmm. um, really has a lot of, I guess, like rules and regulations and things like this and talks a lot about sin and guilt and shame and fear. And and so as a highly sensitive child, I was like, oh my goodness, like taking mm-hmm. all of that in and feeling really overwhelmed with the world. Uh, so the journey of being, you know, exposed to a lot of different things as a child with um, religion, as well as my parents being interested in alternative healing, right? They they were always aware that there was uh, other methods of living <laughs> at the same time. And I think my mom being opening that portal really brought me into my own journey. And I knew that I wanted to work with people. Like, I think I always knew that. I remember being like in grade eight, you know how they do those awards, like most likely to be a clown. Or I remember being in grade eight. So you're like 12 years old and the school voted me like most likely to be a therapist. <laughs> and wow. and so I think it was like a natural way that I was when I was young. And I um, always knew that I really wanted to work with people in a deep and meaningful way probably since I was a child. Mm. And so, and just interrupt me if I'm I'm going on too, too long of a journey here. <laughs> um, but I went on to study psychology in university. Um, and I kind of knew that that wasn't going to be the path for me at age 17. When you have to choose a path, mm. it's, it felt like wrong to me. I was like, you know, I I just, I know that I want to do something amazing, but I don't feel like I'm going to find it at university. Like I knew that. And I was like, okay, but there weren't really alternative options at the time in my field, at least that I was aware of. So I went on to study psychology at the University of Toronto here. And it wasn't until about my third year in school that I got the opportunity to travel abroad and do an exchange. Um, And this actually really opened up a lot for me because I landed in Australia, 
with a four roommates in my in my house and they were really into like mindfulness and meditation and kind of like um past lives and some of these things that I hadn't ever really heard of at the time. I was like, oh my goodness, like, of course, reincarnation and like all these things that my soul knew, but I I hadn't been properly introduced to at that time being really in this academic, rigid school structure. Um, and then from then on, I just really got into yoga and meditation. I did. I traveled to India. I spent about five years traveling mm. and studying yoga, really. Yoga was like the only thing that made sense to me. I was like, okay, we're all connected and like we need to practice remembering our truth. And mm. that was my real passion and the irony of my path was after about five years of, you know, coming back and forth between abroad and home, I decided I wanted to stay in Toronto and I didn't even really know why, but come back to my hometown. And my mom, I remember sitting down on the couch with her and she was like, okay, so I know you're really into yoga. Um, do you think that you'd be interested to learn my work, like the work that I developed? And, and it was just such a hilarious cosmic moment where I was like, oh my God, I like knew in my soul, I was like, I meant to learn this work because even with the yoga, I'm not really mm. reaching people in the way that I deeply desire. So my mom ended up sharing with me her work and I started, you know, learning it and practicing it on myself and with other people. Mm. And that really became what I wanted to do and share with people. And this was based in the tapping modalities. Mm. <laughs> so that, that really led mm. me to learn more about tapping, which is now what I've been practicing for years. And now this year, finally sharing this work with others. So I'm so grateful that you touched on so many essential pieces of your story that really sort of like were crossroads. And then you took this other path. It was like the seedling from really early on of your mother and her doing this work. And then it coming all the way back around after years of exploring yoga and exploring mindfulness and meditation and being abroad. I, I can't, I can't tell you how many people I know who that's like transformed who that they, who they are and who they're becoming. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, it reminds really me of like, I remember just in my like 20, my early twenties or like mid twenties, I was like, so concerned about what I was going to end up doing for work. Like, even when I was traveling in these places, I was just like, where is this all going? And I, when you say that, it just reminds me of how hilarious it is that we spend so much time like wondering where it's all going when mm. it's, it all comes together. I really believe that. Like we just have to keep going and then it's like whatever we're meant to be doing will make sense eventually. <laughs> mm, wow. I love this. I Because I do remember being like in my 
about to graduate high school, going into college and feeling intense pressure, intense like expectation and this idea that I had put obviously learned socially but put on myself of like I should know what I'm doing with the rest of my life and what a ridiculous request of a 20 something year old absolutely I know it's like we don't really know anything about ourselves and we haven't got the opportunity to like explore yet and actually when I was set so in Canada like you're set I was 17 because my birthday's in November when we graduated high school. So I was 17 years old and, and all my friends were like signing up for the rest of their lives. Like I'm going to be a lawyer now. And I, I did refuse to go for at least one year, which is quite common in Europe, but not here. Um, and I really tried to explore what other options were available to me. Like I went to the West coast and stayed with my brother and I was like, you know, just like maybe something will make sense. And I ended up needing to earn money. And I don't know if you remember, but I became a a full-time nanny at the time. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'll do like creative pursuits on the side. (laughs) And it was just so hard to to know Mm -hmm. what to do when you don't really have any life experience. And Mm -hmm. goes, yeah. So I, yeah, I see the value in going to university for that point because you're just so young still. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, what, what should we do at this time? Yeah, and so what's coming mm-hmm. through right now is that there's a cultural fear of the unknown. Yeah. And I think letting young people who are very malleable kind of just like be in the unknown, in the spaciousness, in the like lostness, I think for adults and parents can be really scary. Um, and yet I'm feeling into this sense that you like can't save people from the exact process that needs to happen of exploration and lostness and finding things and then having them deteriorate and building relationships and having them fall apart and, and kind of just knowing that our 20s are so much about this messy, messy process of becoming ourselves. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And it feels like in, yeah, that just resonates really deeply. I'm curious if your family or your parents were supportive of that process or there was fear coming up or kind of how they supported you through those years. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because my family, including like my everyone except for my father didn't actually graduate high school. So my parents, my family had like a big aversion to going to school actually. And, Mm. um, and so they were really supportive of trying different things. They're all entrepreneurs and quite successful in what they do. And I think that the way that they found their work was through taking a different path. So there was this like big encouragement of taking a different path Um, And I remember, like, I remember when I told my family that I wanted to go to university, they were all like, like opposite to a lot of people. They were like, are you sure? Like, I, they were like, you know, they were almost like questioning that because they Mm -hmm. thought that it was like, they knew that it was a little bit of a like dead end road in a way. Um, But they still supported that, um, you know, that exploration of like, okay, if you want to go to school, go to school. And at the same time, I think it was definitely a path that no one really took going traveling. So there was fear. Like when I went to Australia, when I went to India, it was just like, 
what is going to happen out there, you know? Um, Yeah. So a little bit of like how my family operates a lot of the time, there's like this half of them that's very into the alternative. And then the half of them that likes to stick to like some sort of security and safety. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm curious about um, obviously this little piece of your journey and I'm interested to hear about certain relationships that kind of like pushed you in the direction of your work today. Like people that launched you in that way and yeah, what that was like for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes me back to like the first relationship that I had and it was, you know, quite a traditional trajectory of a relationship. We were together with my partner at the time of like for almost five years. And I was heading down this like path that felt very almost traditional of like, okay, you go, you know, you go to school, you get a job, you get married and everything becomes like logical and it makes sense. And I just felt this like yearning in my heart. And that was like a huge part of my journey. Just like everything made sense to stay in on that path logically, Mm -hmm. but something inside my body was like, no, you know, it was like, you have to change this. Like, no, you know, and I was like, oh my God, like just feeling that so clearly from inside of me really, yeah. And it was probably the most difficult thing to actually step off the path. And I say that for so many people because I feel like, again, it comes back to that unknown, right? It's like, if you're going to step off, there's no guarantee of what will come from this. Um, Mm. But I decided to do that. And And from that, I feel like a million doors opened of relationships that I couldn't have possibly imagined, Um, just friendships and teachers and um, so many inspiring people that like, Mm -hmm. I guess it's like that idea that when you, when you decide a different path, it's almost Mm -hmm. like you calibrate to a frequency that opens up people that are like on that path as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so I met so many inspiring people on my, on my journey that really shaped the rest of my, my existence. And I, I don't know, do you have anything in mind in terms of like Mm. teachers or is there anything I can share more about specifically? Well, I really feel like you got the hit because I actually did want you to talk about this long term relationship that you were in, um, Mm -hmm. Because I know how much, like, just this seems to be a theme in a lot of people's lives of taking this main path, like, okay, this is what I've been told. This is what it's supposed to look like. I'm in this long-term relationship. We're going to get married. We're going to buy a house together. (laughs) And just this resistance, this internal yearning for something so much deeper and bigger. And I think I'm so grateful that you brought that forward because so many people I know on the path are faced with this, like, here's all the things you think you're supposed to want, but you don't want them. So what is happening here? Like, what is here for you? Absolutely. It's like it. And I mean, I think I'm still faced with those decisions almost every day, right? Because I feel like we live in a society and a world that is constantly trying to tell us what is correct and what is like successful if you want to talk about that and like 
worthy. And I think that we have to really consciously check in with ourselves almost every single day with, is this what I actually want? You know, and I've been faced with that even with running an online business. It's like, there's a lot of noise out there, you know? And so it's like, uh, that was one major major decision that I made to to leave that relationship and I feel like it it continues all the time to mm-hmm. to really ask us to to be true to what what we want mm. yeah mm. yeah I it's interesting listening to your story there's a couple of things that have you know really come through for me that I I can feel very similar in and it's that piece that you're talking about not just our you know intimate relationships but constantly with our business and everything that that questioning or the the way that I put it is like I have to slow down and take a deep breath and go is this really what I want I feel like I've been in a perpetual loop like some kind of cycle loop of existential crisis of constantly being like is this really the path that I want is this really what I need like how like the messages of the universe keep coming back around throughout my entire life constantly challenging me to think about is this the right because I feel like our society just kind of takes over like we'll be on our path and we'll be moving and then all of a sudden you're like wait how did I get sucked back into like the social construct? Wait a minute. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like when you open up that channel of mm-hmm. like listening to mm-hmm. a higher guidance or listening to the truths that exist within us, then I think mm-hmm. that it's always going to be there where sometimes, you know, it's almost like I I joke and I wish that like, it seems easier to not be open to those things because it's like everything seems a little more straightforward, but it's, uh, it's definitely worth it. I would say. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely that, that saying that's so classic ignorance is bliss, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if we never open that door, then we can just kind of ignore it. But once you do, you just kind of keep, keep coming back around to it. And I feel like this is a great segue to really talk about the medicine of the work that you're doing, because my instinct is not knowing you, but my instinct is, is that you have a lot of tools in your toolbox that help p- people to kind of listen better yeah. and to process better. I'd love to hear about the work that you're doing in that, in that way. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's been really exciting and I feel so humbled and honored to be able to do work that feels really real and authentic and aligned with my soul, which is actually the name of my business, Core Soul Work, um, because I do believe that we're all here to pursue and and, you know, find work that is in alignment with service and with like our deep, unique soul's blueprint almost. And so a lot of what I'm doing is helping women find that expression. And for myself, I had like a tremendous amount of fear in particular around like showing up online. And I knew that that was a really brilliant and amazing way to connect with all sorts of people, but it was so hard for me. And I always tell the story of like, I hired a business coach at one point and she was like, 
explaining to me to record my sessions. And at the time I did um, sessions through phone, which seems archaic at this point, but um, I couldn't imagine like actually being on video the whole time in a session. I just thought like, oh my God, people are going to see me. And uh, so there was like this, this real deep fear of being seen mm-hmm. and and like showing up and and sharing my voice and feeling, you know, valuable enough to take up space. Mm. And a lot of the women that I attract into my world, into my program, my current program, they struggle with this even in our weekly calls. Like, am I taking up too much space? Is it too much? And and so the work is really about empowering people to connect to their power, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Helping them use these tools to know that there's an infinite amount of power that can come through all of us if we get out of the way and open up the channels to receive. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, yeah, so, so it, and it's a lot about intuition as well. Um, Reminding and teaching women of the power of our own intuition, which I believe has been pretty strategically taken away from us because we're, we, we become incredibly powerful when we know right? And a lot of what society is selling us is based on like things that we're not sure about. Um, And so there is an aspect of connecting to, in the clearing work, we learn intuitive kinesiology, which is also sometimes known as muscle testing, but it's literally using your own body as a vessel to find yeses and nos. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds so simple, but, and they don't get to this work until about month five, but it's for a lot of the women in the course, it's like, oh my God, like I can actually ask my body if this and get an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much confusion, right? Confusion when we leave it to our minds to try mm-hmm. to sort out like where we want to go, what we want to eat, what we want to do. But our body carries this like deep knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and yeah, and you know, I feel like I've created a program that is what I was really looking for before I signed up for four years of psychology in university because yeah. it's like embodiment work of how to really hold space for ourselves and hold space for other people's emotional process, which I believe is like innate within us, right? Like we all have this, like we all have this I don't know what it is, this like potential to, to really be present with each other. And I mm-hmm. think in that there's such a deep medicine mm-hmm. um, of just being present and listening and using these tools to help others move through whatever it is they're moving through. Mm. Um, so I know I'm speaking quite broad and I can get more specific as well. Um, mm. You're doing a beautiful job. I actually <laughs> had this hit where I, I'm really having this desire for you to share some of the language that you use. And I know oftentimes it's specific to what somebody's dealing with, but there's a couple of like consistent mm. phrases that come through that are just so like potent and healing and Um, Sasha and I have been friends for years now and I've been a part of some of her EFT tapping circles or workshops and just the amount of emotional release and depth that comes through just by these like really simple phrases and following the the tapping um, 
points that you offer, it is so apparent that we're getting to um, some really tender personal experiences and beliefs and stories. So Absolutely. Yeah, I would yeah. love to hear if you're down to share it. Just the, of course, like, even okay. though. Yeah, yeah, of course. So with EFT and there's a lot more to EFT, which is emotional freedom techniques. Um, but on the internet, a lot of people are familiar with like the basic statements and the basic setups, which are brilliantly powerful. It's just, I think it's also really great to know that when you work with a practitioner, which I highly recommend everyone trying because it's a whole nother level of like tapping into deeper layers of what's showing up on the surface, Mm. how we work with um, emotional freedom technique is at the most basic level. We're acknowledging what's present in the body. So it goes so well with yoga, right? Because a lot of yoga and meditation is about, you know, kind of closing down the eyes and simply becoming aware of what is happening inside of your body, which for a sensitive being is so powerful because there's so much happening in our bodies. And there's so much sensation that's like, you know, we're coming into contact with all the time. Like we, we step into a room and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, all these things are happening in our body. So mm. at the most like fundamental level, it's the starting with training us how to like feel what's there and bringing it to it. So it's like, okay, so we say anxiety, right? Like anxiety is almost like a popular term right now, but it's like, what is that like for you? Because it's different for everyone. And for some people, when they're feeling anxiety, it's like they feel like they just want to curl up into a ball and hide. For some people, it's like a tremor in their feet, right? So when we start to bring it deeper in the language of where is it in your body, and also one of the most you know, famous things about EFT is we actually measure So it's called SUDS or Subjective Units of Distress Scale. And you give it just like a subjective rating. So it's like that tremor in my feet feels like a 7 out of 10 of intensity. Um, And when we have that scale, it's helpful for us to measure how it changes and to like observe how it changes with the tapping. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we start with the setup statement which is actually on the side of the hand. So if you just feel your hand, if you're listening to this, it's good to know. Um, It's like right where the fatty part of the side of your hand is. It's also known as the karate chop because if you were to like break a brick with your fist, it would be that side of the hand. So you literally just tap on that side of the hand point, which is associated with the small intestine meridian line in the body, which I think is really cool because it's... um, they, they all make sense with the body. So if you think of the small intestines in the body, it takes nourishment and filters out what it is that we want to absorb and what it is that we want to eliminate. Mm. And so that's what we're doing emotionally with this point. We're going like, okay, so I feel this anxiety in my feet, wherever it is, and I deeply and completely choose to love and accept myself. And so when we acknowledge what we're feeling and say, yep, I accept myself anyways, it creates a psychological reversal 
because we're so used to going, I don't want to feel this. I feel anxiety. How can I make this go away? And what happens is it gets worse, right? Because we're like pushing it down and it's like, you know, it's building. And so just with this tapping, I find um, and it's a self-regulation tool. So you can do this on your own, of course, too. Um, it it creates that flip of the switch to be like, oh, I can actually feel this. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Mm. And through that, it it we allow the energy to move. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So <laughs> powerful. So yeah. radical. I yeah. and it's it's like every time that I come back to doing work with you when I get the chance. It's like, it just hits me because it is this, this deep counterculture to say, I have this feeling and I'm going to make space for it. I'm going to feel this thing and I'm going to love myself through it. That is, that is incredibly profound to be embodying and teaching other people. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we're not really taught. Like I find, you know, even as children, the obvious thing is like, we're constantly telling children like, don't cry. Or as adults, we're trying to make our children stop feeling things. Mm. So we learn at like a very young age, like when I feel things, it's destructive. I create chaos and I have to learn how to like shut this down. And so the parents in my course are actually blowing my mind. I would say like 80% of them are are moms. Um, Mm -hmm. And the other day, one of the moms in my group said that her child was having like a tantrum at the dinner table. And her husband was like, we got to shut this down. Like, should we send him to his room? You know, all of the classic things that people do. And she was like, what are you feeling in your body? Because I'm feeling really anxious. And so they, her and her husband started tapping at the dinner table and stayed in connection, which is the key because we learn that when we're upset, we lose connection, which means that it's not safe and that we might die. Like, so it's like, when I feel upset, I'm no longer safe because my parents are sending me into isolation. And so she started tapping and she was like, she was just saying like, I accept myself anyways, even though this is hard for me. And the kid started tapping with her. Like one, you know, after a few rounds, the child across the table started tapping with her and regulating himself and learning that it was okay that he was feeling something because his mom was showing him it was okay that she was feeling something. And then he actually came to her lap and was like, mom, can you tap on me? Because I'm having a hard time right now. And it literally just burst my heart open because I was like, holy crap, like this is so basic really right like but if the parents don't have the tools how are we expecting children to grow up and have these tools so much truth in that (laughs) i literally have tears in my eyes that is so powerful yeah i know me too it just it blows me away that is like wow sash like and and just to know it's it's interesting because over the years i've taken care of little ones and right now I'm taking care of some some they're one and a half years old and it is so wild the insidious cultural narratives and the ways that we've been conditioned like should we send them to their room it's like wow wait what's happening and the lack of socialization (laughs) and structures in place to support people to have their emotional experience 
And yeah. this is what you said of like, it's unsafe to feel because when I feel I, I ruin things and I make a mess of things and I become isolated. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, we need to, and that's what helps with like working with a therapist or a practitioner of all different sorts is like, we're relearning how to stay in connection and feel, which is really important for our nervous systems because we do need each other. Right. Like, and I think that's something that is, is another topic, but it's like, there's a little bit in the conscious community, community and spiritual community of like, really like self-regulating and um, almost like doing things on your own in a way is seen as superior when in reality we need to first learn how to feel things in co-regulation, which a lot of us didn't have the chance to learn as kids. So we're like relearning it as adults. Like how can I be with a person and still feel all the things. Mm, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So beautiful. It reminds me the other night I was um, with some friends and we were talking about, I sort of shared the sentiment that it's like, I can only bring people as deep as I've gone myself. Mm-hmm. And one of the places that I realized was a pattern is that when people are having emotional experiences that I haven't let myself feel, then usually there's a signal in my body that's like, shut it down, like shut it down because mm-hmm. I don't know how to navigate it. And a common one I think is grief. Um, I feel mm-hmm. like in Western culture, generally grief is just like not welcome, like mm-hmm. way too big and way too complex and it's not welcome. And, and the thing is like, everybody dies and everything dies. And so kind of like noticing all these places within us that we've shut down to our own emotional experience and the way that that ripples out into our community and we shut other people down from having those emotional experiences. Absolutely. And it's like, it, it reminds me of like, well, just our culture is so afraid of talking about death really. And like in India, it's like you, you, we all know, but it's like they, they burn bodies in, in groups. So you can like be reminded, like one of the main teachings um, is like to remind yourself of your inevitable death every day, because that is definitely going to happen. (laughs) Um, And so it's like, how can we remind ourselves of that and then live accordingly? And I feel like, similar to emotions where we can't just open one door. And I think that's what Mm. we're trying to do in like Western culture. It's like, how do we, let's just feel good all the time. Mm. Let's just celebrate all the time and like feel good. And it's like, but they're not opening the door to the darkness. And it's kind Mm. of like, you can't have one. Like you can't open one door. And so it's like how, and I think there, there is something very true about that, that like people aren't really living Mm -hmm. to the fullness that we desire. Um, And I think that's like the unwillingness to go into some of those deeper, darker places. This reminds me of, I think it was Brene Brown. I've shouted her out twice now. So yeah, Brene (laughs) Brown. (laughs) Um, She says something along those lines of like, 
you can't selectively numb. You can't be like, I will numb sadness and then I'll feel as much joy as I want to. And I'll also numb anger because like, fuck that emotion. And she's just like, you can't do that. Like when you choose to numb, you numb everything. And so your life becomes like grayscale and you think you're protecting yourself, but actually you're like limiting the very like human experience that you like belongs to you, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting listening to you say that Marissa, I have had this like internal challenge with myself to accept the concept of like, um, medicating like with SSRIs, right? Like to tap mm-hmm. into that kind of conversation where our society and, and you know, our communities don't really necessarily have the tools to be able to support people to have their full emotional experience. Mm. So a lot of people go to a therapist and they say, you know, this is what we've been taught and this is the structure. And then here's some SSRIs because you're too emotional, you're too whatever, you're out of control. Here, suppress this so that you can then like be normal and um, walk through the world kind of subdued so that you can fit in with everybody else, right? And Mm -hmm. so instead, you know, something like EFT or just teaching people in general that it's okay to feel those emotions, right? Like I have a um, family member uh, that has gone back and forth with taking SSRIs and I am always challenged. I've never, you know, had this experience. I've, I've been able to uh, correlate my own emotions on a, when I'm feeling a lot, I'm able to process them internally and, you know, work through them versus not being in control of my emotions and needing something to suppress it. Um, and it may be, you know, a controversial kind of topic or mm-hmm. might bring up a lot, but how do you kind of bring this dynamic into your practice when you have somebody that comes to you that maybe has been taking SSRIs or wants to get off them, or I don't know if you've had this experience, mm-hmm. but how do we work with the traditional um, norm of numbing through yeah. medication? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge topic. And I feel like it does really make sense in terms of what we were speaking to, mm-hmm. where it's like opening one door, but not not wanting to open the other. And I think that the pharmaceutical industry has like, you know, a, I guess, temporary solution to try to kind of numb it mm-hmm. all in a way. And um, of course, like I'm not a medical practitioners. So I, I don't have the, um, I just don't have the say in, in what people choose to take medically or anything like this. And I, and I really, I really am careful in terms of like my scope of practice to never advise anyone about that because it's really Mm. just not my place. But that being said, I do have a lot of clients that say to me, like, they just don't want this anymore. And Mm. a lot of, of clients who who end up actually going off of it because of the work that they're doing to feel their emotions mm-hmm. and the desire to feel more mm-hmm. because they start to realize that it's safe. Uh, so I think it's, yeah, it's a bit of a personal journey for everyone. And, and the stories, like one of the, one of my mom's clients 
actually changed their gender uh, when they had seen my mom and through the clearing work decided to go back to the original gender because they felt they no longer wanted to be in that um in that body anymore or you know that way so it's it's very complex and said it was because of this work so that was like one of the yeah it was a major testament to my mom's work um, because they had said that their changing of gender was because Mm -hmm. of their childhood trauma which I know isn't the case for everyone but I do think it's possible that you know people experience so much trauma in their lives that they need ways of getting to the root of it for sure. And I think we need to make that more accessible. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if in if there's um, an experience, a situation that you want to touch on where you sort of felt like you had bumped up against a, a serious edge in your life. And maybe there was like a lot of resistance and uncertainty about moving forward. And like, if you broke through that and how you broke through that. Yeah. Um, let me see. Yeah. What comes to mind is like almost what we were speaking to of just like the uncertainty of it all. And I mean, maybe we could go into financial territories because I was really like unsure of how to sustain a life um, doing work that I loved. So it was like always this like this thing of like, oh, no, but I have to do things that I don't want to do in order to make money. Um, And that that was quite a journey for myself. um, And it, it did really help me working with people online that knew about how to like create an online business. Um, and before the pandemic, I was still doing a lot of in-person work, which I sometimes have retreats and things like this in person. But um, when the pandemic kind of hit, all the things that I was doing for work in person, for example, I worked for an organization that went into schools quite regularly to teach these tools to kids in schools which was absolutely amazing but Mm -hmm. as soon as that happened there was no more of that and I was also actually teaching in-person yoga classes still along with my my tapping people that I was seeing in person so uh, when the pandemic hit everything turned online and I was like okay you know and actually that was like a really big turning point I would say for me to start this online business and I think it was pretty scary because there's so many like unknown parts about it like putting yourself out there to the general public and and just being really afraid of what people were gonna think and I I think I just had a lot of fear of like um I guess persecution persecution if you want to get into like some of the witch wounds which Mm -hmm. I think a lot of healers and um magical women Mm. I think we're all healers but just people who are putting themselves out there as um working with magical territories and Mm. and so yeah I had a lot of a lot of fear around what people would think about tapping and all of this um, so I would say that that was something major that I overcame and I just kept going and I, I really grew 
um, my business to where it is today, which is probably like something that I'm most proud of because Mm -hmm. it's just my absolute love. Like I, Mm -hmm. every single day get to work with people that I, I, I really, really love what I do. And now it's like getting to share. This is like the biggest thing because people always talk about how your business has a soul and how, you know, there's so much more than just you. And I think like there was a huge transition from like, what should I do in the world, you know, to like what wants to come through on a bigger level. And I feel finally I'm at that place where it's like there is a community building and it's like, people are doing things that has nothing to do with me from the work because they're they're becoming practitioners right so it's like I'm just blown away at like what is happening and I finally understand the like soul of your business piece Mm -hmm. has a whole life of its own wow Mm -hmm. oh I love this (laughs) Also, for the listeners, I'm just like basking in our relationship because it was Sasha and I met on Birthright. If you're Jewish, (laughs) shout out to the Jews out there. Oh, my gosh. And so we met in Israel on this Birthright trip um, and just like had this like click and have Mm -hmm. been able to witness each other through like massive expansion and growth and just to literally from I feel like to see a huge part of this journey I'm just incredibly inspired and proud of you oh thank you so much it's (laughs) it's funny to think of that actually because we were we were like assigned to the same place and actually I had so much fear on that trip Mm. because I was raised Christian but my father is Jewish um so you know in order to go to birthright you have to have one parent that's Jewish and I just felt really out of place because a lot of the people there were raised Jewish and so I like confided in Marissa the first (laughs) night I was like oh my god I was like I don't think I'm Jewish enough to actually be on this trip like I was like I gotta get out of here like I feel like I'm gonna be killed or something and she she said like the same thing basically right Marissa like you were like oh my god I have the same thing my father was also Jewish yes yes I totally remember that yeah we like bonded over our um I know I was thinking when you said the word persecution I was like Jews I just like it just came through but we talked about uh, the guilty Jew we were like oh my gosh we're like the guilty Jews here and I similarly like I I wasn't raised with a super strong religious background but I have always sort of felt like a fake Jew because it's in my lineage. It's like sort of um, cultural Jewishness, but really not at all the religious practices or rituals. And so I was, yeah, Sasha and I were laughing together one night being like, we are, shouldn't be here. We're fake Jews. (laughs) Uh, And the funniest part about it is like birthright a lot of people say that it has this like I mean I think straight up it's not a secret the the reason that they bring you to birthright is to make Jewish babies um, because (laughs) (laughs) they want you to get together with Jews and like continue the Jewish culture Um, and so about like a year or so I don't think I've ever like 
I only had maybe one or two Jewish friends in my life. And then I came home and now my partner of like three and a half years, I think now, um, is a hundred percent Jewish. <laughs> and I found him when I came home. I was like, oh my God, birthright worked. Holy <laughs> It's too good. It's too good. And Saj and I have had the most hilarious conversations. We have just laughed because my partner is also Jewish, like very Jewish. And it's just hysterical that birthright worked. Be careful, yeah. everybody. Be careful. Yeah, exactly. It's real. Yeah. And now I like have Shabbat dinner on Friday nights with my Jewish partner's family every Friday. And so, I mean, I think it was a good introduction to the whole culture in a deep way mm. Mm. wow so so fun I love it I um I want to ask you just for our listeners like specific ways that they can work with you right now um where yeah, yeah like what kind of what kind of offerings do you have what are the some of the layers and we'll of course put your information in the description for people to get connected with you but yeah like how can they hire you how can they work with you so sweet. I think the best way to connect with me is through Instagram right now. So just um, Sasha, S-A-C-H-A, Bryce dot E-F-T. And if you follow me there, I usually am posting about what I'm doing and I'm going to be starting, I think, a monthly like almost masterclass type thing where we connect on Zoom and I'm going to be sharing a practice with everybody on Zoom. Mm -hmm. But right now I have on my Instagram, the links are all there to like my free Facebook community where I have weekly tapping circles and, uh, and yeah, I just love connecting with people on the internet and you never mm -hmm. know when it's the right time. I, I accept about three people per month into the certification uh, training, which is a six-month mm -hmm. journey to learn these modalities to actually be able to offer them um, and create a business around it. So that is like my absolute passion right now. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that's that's mostly mostly what I'm up to. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think that Marissa and I love to close our episodes with the question, um, if you could write a love note to your younger self, what would it be? Mm. The first words that I heard were just like, don't worry. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, just like, I think releasing the pressure to get somewhere and just really enjoy enjoy the journey because it really is a journey and it's meant to be enjoyed and we just don't have to worry <laughs> yeah so beautiful love that enjoy the little things yeah yeah wonderful Absolutely. Thank you for bringing your magic and your medicine here. We're so, so glad to have had you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be able to share and to be listened to and, and to have this beautiful conversation. Thank you so much. Mm. Thanks, Sash. Well, we'll talk to you real soon. So much love to you. Amazing. Bye, <laughs> sisters. Bye. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by the people who love and support us in our unfolding. We couldn't do it without them. 
Deep gratitude to you all, our listeners, for showing up to learn and grow with us. We are honored to be on this journey with you. We'd love to continue connecting. Find us on Instagram at the Undergrowth Podcast and support this evolving community by donating through Venmo at nurtured-rhythm. Make sure to subscribe to stay in the loop. We can't wait to have you for our next episode.